It is 2953 of the Third Age. Erebor has been reclaimed. Saron has fled from Mirkwood into Mordor to begin his pursuit for the One Dream. And the last meeting of the White Council has tasked Gildor and Glorian with assembling a fellowship to stop Umbarian pirates from assembling ancient artifacts from a Second Age prophecy. Join the players of this Adventures of Middle-Earth Dungeons and Dragons campaign as they unravel the mysteries of the prophecy. Welcome to Arda in part one of the Inglorian Bastards trilogy, Search for Tor Arasia. So welcome to another episode of the Inglorian Bastards campaign uh, with me tonight. Um, and, and my first interview where I have a celebrity with me. <laughs> uh, so we, we have, uh, with us tonight, we have uh, Jacob Rogers, who's a designer and writer for the Adventures in Middle Earth and One Ring role-playing game um, over at Cubicle 7. So welcome to the podcast. Hello. All right. So um, my first question um, is, is always sort of the first thing that I, I ask people that I interview, and that's... Um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, your experience with Tolkien and D&D in whatever order you want. Oh, sure. Okay. All right. Well, it all kind of ties in together. Um, you know, I am a child of the 80s, um, you know, grow, grew up in the 80s. So uh, that was the first time that D&D had a really big splash, right? You know, it's, you know, in E.T. and other movies and whatnot. And, you know, and so it was, you know, Fairly well known, kind of like today. Today's pretty exciting that, that we're finally back to that kind of environment where there's a, there's a vibe to D and D. So you know, I was very familiar with it, um, but my very very first purchase was Middle Earth role playing, the box set. Yeah, uh, and so I sat down and I went through it and kind of began to understand the rules. Gathered up my friends, decided that I was going to, you know, basically use the game to recreate the Fellowship of the Ring, and that failed spectacularly. I, I have yeah. read this. I, yes, I, you had an interview, I think, somewhere else where I read that it failed spectacularly. Is what you said? Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, again, you know, you can't railroad players. Uh, it's a, a very, very bad idea to say you have to go here and you have to do this in this particular order, uh, and especially as a very, very dumb DM. Uh, that was just something I didn't have the skills to keep things things on track. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, again, my very first role-playing experience. Um, but after that, uh, got into D&D, a little bit of first edition, a lot of second edition. I yep. uh, played a lot of games of Dragonlance and a little bit of Forgotten Realms, and we did a whole bunch of homebrew stuff after that. Uh, and then a lot of other stuff. Uh, we did Shadowrun, but we weren't really happy with the systems. So we had kind of all the homebrew system that we used, but we used all the materials. Um, settings and whatnot, and Twilight 2000. Do you ever do any Oriental Adventures or Dark Sun or any of those back in the day? We did, we did some Dark Sun. Um, we didn't do any Oriental Adventures. Like so, my first edition experience is fairly limited. There's like one guy who really wanted to run first what first edition, and he did Dragonlance. Um, but we did a, a little bit of Dark Sun. Uh, we really uh, liked Alquadim. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, but a lot of that stuff, again, at that point, we were really deep into the homebrew. We had, you know, maps and lore and everything. So we would just kind of, like, grab, you know, stuff out of Alquadim and say, okay, well, let's transplant it into this world. You know, and, there, okay, there's this island in the south, and they've got this, that, and the other kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. So, you know, stole bits by bits. Um, 
And yeah, so that was kind of like my beginning experience. Um, and then uh, for a while, I was, I've never ever done out of the hobby per se, but I spent a lot of time playing less and reading more for a long time. Uh, and now in the last you know, few years, I'm, I'm doing, a, the balance has kind of been restored a little bit. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so you're playing again? Yeah, yeah, I've got a couple of different games going on. Um, primarily Adventures in the North, uh, for the most part, although we, we have done some wondering stuff recently. Well, so. I, you know, when, when we first started playing this, it was over a year ago, and um, there was there were a few materials out because they had just started coming out, um, yeah. and um, there were there was very little, you know, that I could look at. I could I couldn't go to YouTube and, and look at an Adventures in Middle Earth campaign, right? But right. now now when you go there, they're every, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, so if if I could just come back to one of the things you said, I, um, you mentioned when you first started DMing and and you tried to sort of recreate the the fellowship. Um, you know, one of the things that you, you kind of, you had to get them from point A to point B, right? Right. Um, right? And that's, and that's, that's always a struggle. Um, especially w- one of the things we found, we did, um, we did, obviously this was a, a kind of a trilogy campaign, um, but we did a fixed 10 episodes per arc. And, uh, and yeah, that, that was one of the things that I ran into as well is that, you know, I wanted to. I wanted to introduce freedom and choice as much as possible. But in the end, I kind of, kind of had to get them from one point to the next. So, and so in some ways, it felt a little um, uh, rushed. Uh, and it was something that I was struggling with. I think more than the players. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is rough. Um, one thing that I, that I think is really neat about playing in Middle Earth uh, is that if you think about it, um, and this is like I know we both. Um, have a common friend in Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor. Yes. And we probably, you know, the idea of uh, free will is something that really interests me. And the whole idea that basically, as Lord Master, you kind of step into the shoes of Eru a little bit and say, okay, we have to kind of manipulate events so that the player's choices are what matters, but it's also what creates the story. Mm. If that makes any sense at all. That basically, you kind of like nudge things along so that, you know, the adventure you know, is happening because of the player's choices. Yeah. And their choices are, are tying into the, uh, the greater story. No, that's a really good point. Um, point of clarification for our listeners, if they are not um, as into the lore as we are, Eru, and I mentioned him, uh, Iluvatar, is, uh, was sort of the, um, you know, if, if there was a one god that sat over the Valar, um, he kind of, uh, he, I guess he was there before the Ainulindale, right? So... Um, and, uh, the, the other reference was Corey Olson, um, who is the Tolkien professor. And yes, he, uh, turns out he doesn't actually live that far away from me. He's, uh, he's in a couple of towns over. Um, but, uh, yes, he's, he's, uh, very knowledgeable and I've spoken with him and he's actually agreed to come on the podcast in between sort of arc one and arc two, where we're, where we're introducing, I mean, he, he did, he was instrumental for me because he, he did a series on the book of lost tales. Um, which talks a lot about the Lonely Isle and, um, you know, Tolerasea. And, um, and so it's going to be great to have him on the show just to talk to our listeners, you know, and tell them awesome. all about it. Yeah. Um, great. Well, let's, let's move on here. So, um, so you, uh, what about Tolkien? Um, you, you mentioned, you, you mentioned the box, the box set, but uh, in terms of like, uh, I, I have to ask, what is it between the Hobbit and, and the Lord of the Rings books 
and the Silmarillion. What what is your favorite? Ooh, um, um, my official answer is that I am I love the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Okay. All right. Okay, I think that's my official answer. That is, you know, <laughs> that's very politically correct of you. <laughs> so, uh, I, I actually I, I enjoy everything, and I, I really enjoy uh, the deep dives that uh, Christopher's been able to do with all the ancillary material, uh, and uh, we find it very very useful to have that inside look. Yeah, absolutely, and, it, and it's so nice to have those, you know, those those core stories from the Silmarillion that that Tolkien. Um, had originally wanted to flush out, right? You know, the uh, the fall of Gondolin, the children of Hurin, and Baron and Luthien. Um, uh, all right, so um, so moving. Uh, let's. Um, if you want to talk any more about Tolkien, you're welcome to. But I also I, I don't want to neglect um, what what's bringing you on the show, and that's obviously you working for Cubicle Seven, which which was which was huge for me. There w- there wasn't a lot of source material when when I first started this, uh, but Clearly, um, I, I borrowed some ideas from uh, Wilderland Adventures, um, and, and obviously tried to, to follow the the rules as much as possible. You know, there were some. Um, it, it was followed the the five E system, but there were some unique rules to to Adventures in Middle Earth. Um, uh, some of which, I mean, we don't have to get into that, but um, so feel free to talk about Tolkien, um, talk about what brought you to Cubicle Seven, anything that really sort of comes to mind there. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, as, as far as Tolkien goes, uh, I had very, very dying exposure to it um, with the uh, the cartoons and whatnot. And then, uh, of course, you know, about the same time that I bought the, the Merc box set, I had already read through uh, the trilogy and whatnot and read The Hobbit quite a few times. And uh, yeah, as a kid, I'd, I'd take out the Legos and I'd recreate the Battle of Helm's Deep oh, uh, with Lego and all that fun stuff. Um, so yeah, I was, I was deep in for, you know, pretty early on. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, then, you know, as I got a little bit older, dived even deeper into things that, as they became available, uh, with somewhere really in the history of the series and whatnot. Uh, as far as Cubicle 7 goes, uh, of course, as a big Tolkien fan, uh, anytime a, uh, role-playing game came out, uh, I was always, uh, first to get it. Um, you know, I was like, you know, as soon as I heard about um, the One Ring being in development, you know, I was following the development process and uh, I, everything that, that had to go on there in terms of like getting the game ready for publication. Uh, and then when it came out, you know, I got it. Uh, really chewed on it for a while. It's a, it's a little bit different of a game. Uh, it's a game that I've always told it people it's easier if you don't have any other role-playing game experience okay. it's almost easier to teach you how to play the one ring than it is if you have tremendous experience with role-playing games because there are some times where it's easier if you don't have any base assumptions about how things work Got it. Uh, to learn the game um, and so I spent a lot of time you know looking at it and whatnot uh, but it was a couple of years before I really got games going on it uh, and then when I did, I was like, oh, this is, you know, fantastic stuff. And I started doing a lot of fan work on it. Uh, and I was pretty prominent on the forums mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, what I was doing with that. Uh, and then I went to Gen Con one year uh, and got a chance to kind of hang out with everybody. Uh, and uh, that's always good to put a face with a name. Uh, and, um, you yeah, know, I stuck around, uh, helped them out 
you know, with uh, you know, just physically moving boxes around, packing things up, yep. uh, which, uh, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing how many how many jobs start from just moving things around. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, so you know, got a chance to kind of you know interact with folks on a personal level, and then uh, as opportunities presented itself to do proofreading and other work, um, and that led into a lot of things where um, you and you kind of touched a little bit on this on very vicious in Middle Earth. Uh, when vicious in Middle Earth, when we first started development on it. Uh, the folks you were you know, working on primarily were coming very much from you know, a lot of experience with the One Ring yeah. and a little bit of experience with 5e. Uh, and the benefit of 5e is that the natural language allows you to really say, okay, this is really what I'm trying to go for. And this is you know, what we're trying to achieve you know, to generate the feel of Middle Earth. Um, but as I started doing um, the proofreading and whatnot, you know, at that point, I was like, okay, yeah, I see this, but here's a better way to express it in a more 5E consistent fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, you know, gave me an opportunity to say, okay, well, yeah, let's, let's look at converting this stuff. Uh, and I can kind of take lead on that because of my familiarity and kind of help uh, standardize things as we go. So That's a great story, yeah. I um, and, and so, gosh... It's just it's just blown up. I mean, it seems like there's more and more every time I look. There are more and more source material out there uh, for for people to use. Right. Um, so so you have been a busy guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I certainly am. Um, and uh, one of the interesting things about my life is I do live in the future. Um, so uh, you know the stuff that uh, we're about to release by the time this. Um, well, let's say we know right now that Lonely Mountain. Uh, region guide is available for pre-order. Um, so that's something that my part of got wrapped up in, wrapped up a while back. Yep. Um, and then of course it goes into layout, uh, and then uh, you know art takes a little while and, and whatnot, and then eventually becomes available for pre-order, and, and then you know, printing and production takes a little while too. And, uh, and me- so, meanwhile, you're sworn to secrecy through <laughs> all right. of these things. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we talked a little bit. We actually, um, fortunately, uh, for the purposes of this interview, we actually did a big uh, kind of announcement uh, a couple weeks ago uh, where a lot of things that I've been working on finally got uh, physically announced. So I can actually talk a little bit about them now. Um, that would be great. Yeah, we, we have announced that we are good. We have Lonely Mountain Region Guide is available for pre order right now. Uh, Erebor Adventures is coming very, very hot and fast on its heels. Uh, it may or may not be available uh, for pre-order by the time this comes out, but if, it, if it's not available for pre-order, it's coming very, very soon. Uh, then we have uh, Rohan Region Guide and Rittermark Adventures. Both of those are in process right now. Uh, and then we also announced a whole bunch of stuff for the One Ring, including the second edition of the game, because it has been out since 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there is an opportunity to take a look at everything uh, with a fresh set of eyes, streamlines and stuff, but still keep a lot of compatibility with all the first edition materials, so everything will be able to be used. Uh, but as part of that, we're releasing you know, core rules, a starter set, Moria. Right, so Moria is going to have... You know, maybe a couple of volumes that are all about lore, 
uh, and then you know maybe one volume that has all of the One Ring rules, and another volume that has all the Adventures in Middle Earth rules. So that whichever your preferred system is, you can say, okay, I'm going to grab this and this, and then you know, boom, we are ready for the Long Dark Memoria. Sure. Well, man. So, some of that stuff you mentioned, I could have really used for this campaign. <laughs> I mean, we traveled right through there. the 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 the, uh, the fellowship went um, over the Misty Mountains in the north, um, across the the Anduin and the Greyland, and into the Withered Heath, and down through Erebor. Um, well, great. Well, um, something that we didn't get into too much, um, um, but you and I have talked about it, is the uh, open gaming license, the OGL. Um, is there anything that, that you'd want to talk, you know, mention what that is? Um, or, uh... Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, if, depending on how, you know, into role-playing games and the, you know, the history of the industry you're in, um, the OGL Open Gaming License may or may not sound familiar. Uh, it first came out with uh, third edition D&D, basically allowing third-party manufacturers to have a way to use some of the core rules from um, D&D in their products. Uh, and um, when 3rd edition went away, um, of course it kind of lived on in Pathfinder, uh, but uh, the 4th edition came along and they had a different license, which was not OGL. Uh, and then 5th edition came out and it was extraordinarily popular. Uh, and there was no OGL for the first couple years. And then in February 2016, they announced the OGL. Uh, and I think a month later, we announced that we were going to do Middle Earth using the OGL rules. Um, so that was a decision that uh, didn't take a lot of time to, to make. Have, have you found that a lot of people have sort of um, come to Cubicle 7 through this through, Oh, yeah, through this yeah. Product as soon line? as we announced it, uh, it was really amazing. Because as soon as we announced that we were doing it, of course, people who would not necessarily ever, ever look at a custom bespoke system was suddenly reading about us and aware of us and they were buying the materials just to see what we were all about. Yeah. Uh, so it led to a huge spike in one ring sales, which we really didn't anticipate. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the ubiquity of the 5E system uh, and the great familiarity that folks have with it means that there are lots and lots of people who are getting to see Google 7's vision of Middle Earth uh, in a familiar system these days. Yeah, and I, I'm one of the disciples of the 5E system, really. I mean, <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, so, okay, so down to our, our final few questions here. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's anything that you, you um, wanted to talk about these three specific things, um, but sure. um, there, were, there were three things that, that I really borrowed from uh, when I was planning the, um, the, the fellowship and, the, and the, the campaign. And that was um, the old well and, and, the, oh, yes. and the creature in the well. Thing. Yeah, I mean, in the well. I mean, it's, um, I, you know, in interviewing some of my players since then, um, at, at least two of them have said that was one of their favorite moments when, yeah. um, and I mean, is there anything you want to talk about that or, um, do you know the inspiration behind it or sort of how that came to be? Um, well, of course, you know, that's one of the most intriguing things about Tolkien is that he uh, is really good about dropping hints about things. Um, you know, the nameless things that live dark, you know, deep in the earth, uh, that, uh, you know, even Sauron doesn't know their names, uh, kind of stuff. 
Um, so it's really neat to be able to draw on that sort of stuff, especially when we're doing monster uh, type things. Well, uh, so yeah. So this this not only inspired that one uh, session with my players, but it, it actually for me inspired a whole race. Um, and, and obviously, you know, the, the creature from the old well was sort of akin to Ungoliant, right? Uh, I'm guessing, right? Um, you know, the kinds of creatures that really you can't destroy. <laughs> you should just avoid them. Right. Um, but, um, and so, you know, being that Ungoliant was from a region um, in Amman called Avatar, um, I named this race of creature as we sort of continue through the trilogy. Um, Avathari, the Avathari, um, and, the, and these described creatures that um, were obviously from, you know, from before the world was created, who so- somehow settled here in the shadowy regions of Avathar. Um, so I, you know, I just I, I had to throw that out there that 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 was, you know, the the concept, the idea that you just talked about that you know that, that these creatures who are so old that even the Valar don't know who they are. Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of fun opportunities with them. That's the only hint I'll drop on that. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, so did I drop too much of a hint? I hope not. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. You're fine. Um, the, the other two were um, uh, Raynar, the dragon. Yeah. The Thunderer. Yeah. From, from the Withered Heath. Now, is he, was he based on a real, something, something like a, a nugget that Tolkien threw out there? Um, well, there is some stuff in the history about the uh, dwarves and their interactions with uh, dragons in the north uh, that were definitely an inspiration. Uh, so, you know, as far as, like, is there, you know, a single line of text that you can point to somewhere that has his name? No, not exactly, but there's definitely the concept is there. Uh, and, uh, of course, he's, he's very fun. To uh, to write for because uh, he has quite an opinion of himself. Well, yes, he's he's a great cold Drake, isn't he? Is he? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and the and the last thing, the last thing that I really borrowed, um, and, and in fact, one of our characters is is from there is the Mountain Hall. Right. Um, and and we actually um, just a few episodes ago we spent Yule um, at Mountain Hall. We had a whole celebration. There was a festival. Um, there was a drinking contest, which I think I think was probably the best part of all three parts of this campaign. Awesome! Uh, yeah, yeah, it was very fun. Um, so, all right, well, let's let's go to the last thing then. Um, w- when you and I had talked sort of offline, um, uh, you you asked me about something that's coming up called Myth Moot, um, which is uh, coming up on June twenty seventh, and you um, being who you are. Uh, are keynoting on the 28th. Yep, yep sure. So please uh, talk about that. Yeah, so uh, um, yeah, I got a chance to uh, be a, a presenter for MythMoot this year, uh, and I'm doing a couple different things. Uh, one is the, uh, there's a keynote presentation where I'm going to talk about uh, Middle Earth and Tolkien uh, and role-playing games. Uh, and we're going to take a little bit of a historical look. It's not going to be just about Cubicle 7, but it's going to be about the whole history uh, but uh, most folks these days are probably aware that the very first printings of the original uh, D&D booklets had hobbits and balrogs and yes. ants in them, uh, and uh, that had to go away pretty quickly. Uh, but you can actually trace a line 
um, all the way back to 1970 uh, at a very, in a particular war game uh, that was held uh, at a particular convention uh, to where did these things come from, why, did, why are they there, and why are they in the specific order that they are. Uh, so I'm going to go a little bit of a, of a history dive there uh, to talk about some a little bit of the prehistory about how you know Middle Earth and uh, uh, role playing games were, were tied together from the very very get go, uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the different systems Middle Earth role playing, uh, and then Cypher's Lord of the Rings game, which we didn't really mention in our history, but it, it was out there around the time the movies came out, uh, and then uh, of course you know Cube Seven has had a history with role-playing games in Middle Earth since 2011. Uh, so we'll have an opportunity to talk a little bit about that as well. Now that's great. And I and I saw on the site, um, and, and for the listeners, um, they're still able to sign up for Myth Moot until June 6th, which I think is next week. Um, well, it's, it's next week for us. By the time this com- this podcast comes <laughs> out, it, it might be too late to register, but we'll see. Um, uh, signumuniversity.org slash mythmoot is the website. Um, and I was wondering if if we'll be able to. Um, there's some online streaming of, of yeah, some of the sessions. Yeah, so, uh, um, yeah Corey's talked about doing uh, a virtual myth mode, so you can sign up. Uh, and there is, I think, a little bit of a nominal cost for it, where you can sign up and basically virtually attend uh, the keynotes and uh, everything else. You basically uh, through Twitch, you'll be able to pick channels and say, okay, you know, if you wanted to watch my presentation or whatever, it's going to be, you know, on Twitch, on this particular, you know, channel from Signum University at this particular time, it'll be live streamed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, I imagine VODs will be available uh, at some point. So, All right. Well, that's exciting. Um, I'm cool. sorry I can't get down to Virginia this year, but um, yeah. I, I will, I will play. Is it always in Virginia? Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, now of course it could it could move around, but I, I think they're pretty happy with the facilities down there, the National Conference Center. Um, let me put one more thing in there too uh, for that. Um, like I said, I was doing, doing the keynote. I'm also doing a workshop, I think, on Saturday where we're going to look at building dragons in the uh, different role playing systems, both in uh, the One Ring and also in Mistress and Miller, which is one of the things that uh, the Lonely Mountain Region Guide introduced. Is how to build your own dragon. That is so we're gonna talk awesome. About that. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna have to come back to the adventures in Middle Earth, man. <laughs> well, uh, Jacob, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. All right, take care, buddy. Though this marks the end of the episode, the road goes ever on. Until next time, join us at longwinded.one and consider giving us a review on Apple Music, Spotify, or really whichever platform you choose.